Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about this. God, um, first of all, I want to I give you thanks for every, every moment of my, my life, every day that goes by. And with the gift of time, there's responsibility. Um, and I want to I use my time in a way that honors you, in a way that makes the most of, of the time that I have. And I'll bet you there's a whole bunch of us just saying me too in our, our own minds and our own prayers right now. So God, speak to us today and shape our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, before we get into all of that, let me, let me ask you a question. Last, last week I asked you a question out of the gate, kind of um, felt a little obscure. I just, I just said, so when you were different ages, where did your security come from? By the way, if you missed last week, go Go back. We don't have it up yet because we've had some technical difficulties or challenges, but we're getting there. So the, the video from last week should be up, up soon. Um, today I want to ask you a different question. If you hang around crosswinds long enough, you're going to hear us say that, that once you cross the line of faith, we, we don't wait to die. You know, the, the whole point of becoming a follower of Jesus is not just to get to heaven, it's to begin this relationship with God that goes through heaven. But we begin this process of transformation. We want to, we say, you know, hey God, I... I come to you as a sinner needing forgiveness, but I don't want to stay the same person for the rest of my life. I want to become the person you made me to be. I think you created me with intentionality, and there's things you want me to do and character you want me to develop. And so if you're around here, we'll say, hey, we're just in the process of becoming the people God made us to be. None of us are there yet, but we're all hopefully working on, on that together. And so um, the question I have that is kind of related to that, that question. I want you to think about in that context, I want you to imagine yourself in a meeting with, with Jesus, in the flesh, Jesus. He's got a chair pulled up and another chair right across from him, and you get to sit in one chair, and he sits in the other, and, and it's today. And this is, you're not dead. You're still alive, okay? Just keep me right here. And, and he looks at you, and he, and he just says, he says, you know, what I want most for you is to, and I want you to finish the sentence. What do you think he would say? What I want most for you is to, okay, now if you got that in your head, just hang on to it. We're going to come back to it later on, okay? So, so we're in this teaching series called Rooted, and I want to catch some of us up who've maybe been, been missing last week. Um, rooted, the idea is that our faith is something that, that grows. And like a tree or a plant, we, we have to put roots down, and, and that firms things up for us. We want to be firmly planted, deep-rooted in, in our faith. And where this comes from is over and over again in Scripture. One of the places we said last week is in Luke 8. Jesus tells a story of a farmer who's planting seed, and some of the seed falls on hard soil, and some of it falls on rocky soil, and some of it falls where weeds grow and choke out the plants. And, and at the end, after the story, the disciples take him aside, and they go, what did that mean? We don't, we don't get it. And so Jesus starts to explain it. And in his explanation of, of the different soils and the different plants, he says this. He said, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with, with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, but then they fall away when they face temptation. When, when the storms of life start to blow, when the wind, when life gets difficult, or when they see something that would take them a different direction than, than God, because they don't have deep roots, they, they fall away. 
And I told you last week that it reminds me of the trees up my, my dad's cabin where there's just rock everywhere on the shorelines. And these trees grow basically almost on bare rock, just a little bit of, of, of soil, but they can't put their roots down. So while the trees are gorgeous and beautiful, when the storms do come up, it's very uh, frequent that these trees will just fall over. And as you, as you canoe or paddle or, or ride the motorboat around the, the different islands, you'll see these trees tipped over all over the place from the storms. And you'll always see a wide root, root base, but you won't see a deep-rooted um, tree up, up there. Now, the key passage for the series echoes it again, and it puts it into, into purely spiritual terms for us. And it's Ephesians 3. Remember, Paul was in prison, and he was writing to the, the church in Ephesus who were Gentiles and who were experiencing lots of persecution. And so he was concerned about them. And he says, you know, I pray for you guys. I pray for you all the time. Here's what I pray. I pray that from, from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit so that, you, what he's saying is, so you can survive these hard times. So your faith doesn't, doesn't waver. You don't get tipped over. Then he says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, you're going to know his presence. And your roots, the, the roots of your faith, will go down into God's love and keep you strong. From the soil of God's love, you're going to draw your nourishment and you will be, be strengthened. And may you, he's praying, may you have the power to understand, right? So up, up here somewhere. Maybe you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Right? We want you to understand that. It's an intellectual thing. But we also, he says, I also want you to experience it. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. I want you to know it, and I want you to experience it, because then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. Your lives will be full, and you'll have power that comes from God. And, and you'll, you'll sustain the storms, you'll sustain the challenges, and your faith won't just tip, tip over. So knowing and experiencing God's love gives us full lives and power. Now let me just pause for a moment about this message because some of us in this room are here today and we've never crossed that line of faith. We may have heard about this good news that, that Jesus died at the cross for us, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that God wants to have a relationship with us and he wants to be the leader of our lives, but we've never embraced that. We've sort of said, no, I... Frankly, I'm not sure I can believe it. Frankly, if I, I, don't want, to keep, I want to keep God at a safe distance because I don't want him meddling in my life. I'm afraid he'll, he's going to ruin it somehow. If that's you, that, that's fine. Some of us have big questions that would you know, prevent us from crossing that line, and that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But I've got to tell you the truth. Today you're going to be eavesdropping a little bit into words for people who are following Jesus, words for those who have embraced the faith. And it's really good that you are because I want you to know what you're getting into. You know, if, if you do cross that line someday, I want you to go, okay, I know what this is about. I know that, that this is what God wants for me. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we want to know God's love. And last week, I, I asked the question, I said, so how much does God love us? Right? How do you measure that? And, and the Bible measures it this way. I told you that the Bible says God loves us so much that he sent Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life for us. And Jesus said no, no one has a greater love than that, to lay down his life for for a friend, and then he, he did it. Today I want to tell you a different measurement of God's love. Not only did he die for us, but the Bible says that God loves us so much that he adopted us. Right? He, he made us part of his family. By the way, let me just ask a couple of questions. This is going to be a hand-raising thing, so please. Everybody raise your hand one time. 
Does everybody raise your hands? Okay, I just want to make sure you're, you're capable. Okay, good. All right, because last night it was like, all right, so if you were adopted, you, you know, your, your parents who raised you weren't your biological parents. Give me a, give me a hand raise then. I, don't be shy about this. I was adopted. All right, awesome. Okay. How many of you have adopted? You're the, you're the one who adopted someone. You adopted a few hands on, on that. That's, that's awesome. So can I tell you, I was not adopted. I mean, I'm assuming that I wasn't adopted, right? I don't have proof, but I wasn't adopted, right? But I've always been, and this is going to sound weird because I know that being adopted has its challenges and adopting someone has its challenges, right? There's, there's issues with that. But there's part of me that's always been a little bit jealous, you know, because for all I know, my parents just, they weren't planning to have a kid. They didn't really want a kid. They, they just do what married couples do, and all of a sudden my mom goes, I'm pregnant, and dad goes, oh, and then they got to warm up to the idea, right? You know, and okay, yeah, it's a, he's a blessing. You know, and <laughs> that, that might be what happened. I wasn't there. I don't know. They, they didn't want to ruin my life by telling me, well, we never really wanted you. You know, that never happened. But, but for adopted pe- people, for adop- adopted kids, it's completely different because you know the people who adopted wanted you. No one is forced into adoption. You, you you want a child, and you see the child, and you go, I, we choose that child. And, and a lot of parents who have adopted, especially today, they've got to put out a lot of money to help make it happen. You know, and they go, this is going to be worth it. We want that child. We want to raise that, that child. And so you chose it. And, I, and when I hear God adopted me, I go, that's awesome. It means God wanted me, and he, he chose me. It was not part of the God contract, to be God, you must adopt Doug. That wasn't, wasn't there. He, he actually chose. This is what Ephesians says. Paul writes early in Ephesians. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus, Jesus Christ. This is what, why Christ died on the cross is so that we could know God is our Father. And, and there's a choosing of God. And I love the, the next part of the verse. It says this. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. You know, sometimes when, when we, we, depending on the church tradition you grew up in, when you take communion you, or Eucharist, whatever, however you grew up, you celebrated Mass, sometimes we relive the, the, the death of Christ and it's like, wow, you know, I feel so bad that Jesus did that for me. And then it says this, it's what he wanted to do. He wanted to pay the price and it gave him great pleasure. You know, you picture those adopted parents and they're writing the check. I know it's a lot of money. It's thousands and thousands of dollars in these days to adopt a child. And they write the check and they hand it over and, and, and they go, I don't really want to do this. There's none of them do that. I mean, yeah, of course they wish it was cheaper, right? But no, they go, yes. And they don't think about the money another time. Because their eyes are focused on the prize and that's what it was with God. His eyes were always focused on the prize and we're God's kids. If, if we've accepted the invitation to be part of his family, we're God's kids, and we're chosen, and, and we're loved. And I'm hoping, in this, the idea of this whole passage is that you could know that, you could experience that, you could learn to live in it, that our roots would grow down into that kind of love. Now, last week, we were together. I said, why should we believe that? Why should I believe that God loves me? And I'm not going to regurgitate the answers from last week. I'm going to say, I'm in faith. I'm going to say we're going to get it on the, line, on the web and you can go listen to it if you missed last week. I know it'll get up there. Today we're going to ask a different question. Today's question is, so how? 
how do I grow those deeper roots that Paul wrote about into, into God's love? How do I become firmly planted? And I showed you last week a picture of, of, of a tree and without any ground, you know, so you see the roots and you see the whole tree. And the, the thing is that when we look at trees, we tend, we can only see, right, the, the top part, but the root system is supposed to be as big as the, as the, as the top part, right? And, and uh, you know, but some of us go, well, big branches are what it's all about. No, it's, it's a healthier tree has a big root system, deep root system, but it's all underground. So we don't, we don't see that. In fact, if you look at my life, all you see is what's above the dirt. And, and there's God's love, though, is where my root system is, spiritually, spiritually speaking. So when we start talking about how to grow our roots, you need to understand that we're really talking about something you can't see. Right? We can't look at each other and see the root system. We can, it's, a, it's an underground project, right? So, so what we're talking about today is how do, we, how do we do the underground part because the root system is where authentic spiritual growth takes place. This is where it's, where it's really at. And this is the problem, by the way, when we start to judge each other's spiritual lives by, by looking at each other, right? And, and I, I know, I mean, there's, there's fruit above, right? But fruit can be imitated, right? And, but the, the truth is underground, and you, you can't see it in each other's life. This is why some churches have very gifted speakers, very gifted teachers, pastors. And the churches are growing, and they're, and they're big. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the leader, who everybody was going, look at the fruit of that guy's life. Look, at, look how big his arm is. The man has guns for arms and branches, right? And he's huge, and it looks really good, and, and the church looks really good. And then all of a sudden, you find out that there's a moral failure, or the guy really wasn't walking with God at all, and there, it collapses. He walks away from the faith. And the reason that happens is because we were judging only what we can see. And the root system wasn't there. And whatever happened, the dynamics that took place, the, the tree tips over of, the, of the, the person's person's faith. Because when we look above ground, we're seeing the external, and we can't see the internal. Not for anybody. This is why judging each other spiritually is, is kind of ridiculous. It's We don't know. Right? So, one more clarification before we start to get to a little bit of, of what to do kind of things is I want to be very crystal clear about this, is that the Bible is clear that God brings growth. Right? You, it's, it's, you can't do this without God. You can't do this without Him causing the growth in our life. And Paul made this really clear um, to the Corinthians because they were having this little discussion, argument about following different spiritual leaders. And one group of the Corinthians were saying, we follow Paul, and another group was saying, we follow Apollos. And they were both teachers. And they were both, by the way, respectable teachers. And so Paul writes about this division that's taking place in the church. And, he's, and here's what he writes. He writes, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed in your hearts. In other words, he was the one who started the church, gave them the good news in the beginning. But then Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. And he, his, his point is this, is stop following people. Stop, Paul, Apollos, are you kidding me? That's sick. Stop it. Follow God. Get deeper roots into the soil of his marvelous love. Don't make this about which human being to, to follow. So, so God makes things grow, but we can position ourselves. We can cooperate with God to help growth take place because God won't violate you. I'll make you grow against your will. That, that just won't happen. So here's the question is how do I 
grow deeper roots into, into God's love. Now, I'm going to give you the answer that I think most churches will give you if you ask someone, hey, how do I grow deeper in, in, in to love of God? And I'm going to give you this answer, and it's going to sound a little bit pejorative, a little bit like I'm putting it down, okay? But bear with me, okay, because I'll, I'll, I'll come back. Most churches, most spiritual leaders, probably including me, will give you what we could call a cookie recipe for spirituality, right? What, is, what does a recipe do? Well, a recipe gives you a list of ingredients. It tells you the amounts of each ingredient to, to, to do it. And it tells you how and when to, to add them, right? And, and religions and spiritual leaders are always tempted to reduce our relationship with God to cookie recipes. Follow these steps, right? That's what a recipe does. It tells you the steps to follow. And the reason that is is because it's transferable, repeatable, and a large group of people can, can do it. And even you hang around crosswinds. I'm a, I'm a person who likes to give, hey, here's three things we can do. Here are some steps to take kind, kind of thing. And, but, but we have to be really careful with that kind of thing because it can kind of be oversimplifying. So let me just make it kind of on the recipe card so you can actually see what I'm talking about. Let's, let's say that someone says, hey, you need to have easy bake quiet times. Right? If you don't know what a quiet time is, hang on, you'll, you'll get it. Right? And so, so okay, is, which church is this? Well, it's the one, two, three step church. You know, it's not crosswinds. All right. So, um, so what ingredients do we need? Well, you need your Bible or a devotional book that includes some Bible verses. That's good. You need a notebook and you need a pen. And you need worship music, which means if you're uh, over 45 or under 45, it, you can use your phone. But if you're over 45, you need a CD. Um, <laughs> player, right? All right. And then the instructions come, or the directions. Read your Bible verse or verses. Write down an insight in your notebook with your, with your pen. Fold in prayer for you and your friends. Listen to a worship song. Identify a blessing from God to give thanks for. Pray again. And the time required for these cookies is, is less than 10 minutes. Just like the video said. Right? How many of you have heard something like that in your life? Something like that. So i got to be crystal clear. There is nothing wrong with having a plan or a pattern. That is exactly what that is, just a plan or, or, or a pattern. But not everybody's going to have the same one. It's going it's to look a little bit different. But having a plan and a pattern or a cookie recipe for this, is, there's a danger to it. And I'm going to be really clear about this. The danger of having a recipe is you don't have to love to follow a recipe, right? So, so you can make cookies with any kind of attitude you want to, and the cookies will turn out the same, right? I mean, unless you're hating someone, and then they'll be toxic, <laughs> right? But basically, it comes down to the cookies are going to be the same. As long as you follow the recipe, the product will end up the same because it's not about, it's not, it's not relational. It's just a cookie book recipe, and and so if you play this out, you don't have to love God to be religious. You could just follow the recipes. And every church will give them to you, probably including us. You know, where you just check the boxes. I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm a good Christian today. I feel better about myself. I can go through my day. Right? And one of the ways you know that it's not that when we, in a day, like, what do you feel guilty about? Sometimes I hear Christians say, I feel guilty I didn't have my quiet time. And I'm sort of like, so have it. I mean, why go through the rest of the day like this? You know, it's, it's not a good luck charm. It's not, it's, it's not something to just click off. You don't have to love to be religious. 
You don't have to love to go to church. You don't have to love to read your Bible. You don't have to love even to pray. You don't. You can just, you can do those things. Now, where did I learn all this? From a guy named Don Wilson. And you know Don's passed away because look at his glasses. Right? That actually is my mother's father. And uh, so that would be my, my grandfather. You figured it out. And, and Don, um, great guy. He used to come. My parents would take exotic vacations. Be gone for two weeks. I mean, really traveling the world kind of thing. And my mom's parents would come and take care of the three teenage boys. I felt so bad for them. And my sister, who's five years younger. And so they got four kids, and my, my grandfather and, and my grandmother would come. And um, so I remember this one summer when I was 15, and my grandfather was out in the yard working. He said, hey, when you come home from school, because it was springtime, when you come home from school, I want you to help me in the yard. So I came out there and go, okay, Grandpa, here I am. Because I love yard work. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't like it today, let alone when I'm 15, right? I had nothing better to do than to be with Grandpa out in the yard. So... I'm working, and I've got the worst attitude, and I still do when I do yard work. It's the worst attitude about it, and it's just like, really, Grandpa, how long are we going to be out here? And he goes, well, I don't know, you know, until it's done, kind of thing. And he's working, and do this, do that, do this. And he goes, hey, Doug, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, sure. What do you want, Grandpa? And he said, do you think I like this more than you? And I said, well, you appear to. You know, and, and, and I mean, you're old. What else you got to do? <laughs> right? And he goes, I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> this is a little embellished, all right? But anyway, the attitude was there. And he said, he just goes, you know, Doug, I don't, I don't like this at all. And I go, then why are we doing it, grandfather? You know, and he goes, what you don't get is I do this because I love your mother. She loves this garden. She loves this yard. And I want it to look really good for her. So when I'm doing it, I'm just doing it out of love for your mom. You're doing it because you have to. You're doing it because I'm making you. And I said, oh, so that means I can stop. <laughs> that wasn't his point. You know what? I, I finished up the yard work that day, and I had a bad attitude all the way through it. Never changed. But I also never forgot what he said. Because the truth of it was more important than what we were doing that day. And the truth of it is, is this. I could do the yard work out of love, or I could do it out of duty. Either, and you could say, well, the yard work's going to get done either way. Yeah, I know. It, I guess it will. It'll get checked off. But the motivation is so completely different. And the experience of doing it is going to be completely transformed by what drives my heart when, when I'm doing it, you know? So, so am I doing it because I have to, because it's duty? Or am I, can I embrace my grandpa and go, I'm doing it because I, I love the person I'm doing it for. And it's not my grandpa, even though I loved him. It wasn't my grandpa. Now let me take you back to that meeting with Jesus, you and Jesus. And Jesus starts the sentence. He says, what I want for you most, what I want most for you, excuse me, is to... Got your answer in your head, the one I gave you? How many of you, this is going to be brave, bold, and courageous. How many of you go, the truth is, Doug, I thought it was either going to be to stop doing something I shouldn't be doing or to do something I should be doing more and, and better. Raise your hand if that's what, what, what you thought, of something I should be doing more and better. Yeah, exactly. Can I tell you something? I don't think so. 
I really don't think if you had a face-to-face with God, with Jesus right across from you, he would go, what I really want you to do is to stop cheating on your taxes. That's really bothering me. You know, or I want you to spend more time with the kids. That's what's really bothering me right now. Or I want you to stop getting angry. Or, or, you know, I've got this whole list for you of people you haven't forgiven yet. Now, I'm not saying all those things aren't important. But the word most is up there. And I don't believe that it's going to be anything moral or immoral that he's worried about most. That's, that's growth stuff. That's in the future. You'll, you'll become stuff. I think what he, candidly, I think what he would really say is what I want what I want most for you is to be alone with me. I want more times like this. I want this to be a part of your life because what I want for you is for your roots to grow down. I want you to know and I want you to experience God's love. And it, it's not just going to come on you. It's, it's by you spending time with me. Psalm 139 was written by King David. And I think David kind of puts his finger on something really, really important for us. Right? And I'm just going to read it to you. and you'll, you'll, It'll jump out at you. So starting in verse 1, it says, Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do, and this is part of being God, right? This is not new to you. God knows everything about you and and, and everywhere you are. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord, right? The time span before the brain and the lips, God is in that moment. Because you know what I'm going to say before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. That's a God trick. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Now, when you read that, you're thinking, he wants to run away from God. No, he's not saying that. He's just saying, it's impossible. Right? If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, if I die, right, you're there. If I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, it's getting a little poetic, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. Why? Because night is like day to you. Darkness means nothing to you. What I'm telling you is, David figured out something really, really important. And it's this. He was never really alone. Right? When we say, I need some time by myself alone, it's impossible, theologically speaking. Right? Well, you get alone, you're with God. You're never alone. I'm never alone. But there's a difference between being alone and being alone with God. It depends what's going on up, up here, what I'm experiencing. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Right? And I think, I think the Psalm 139, we just read by David, came out of time when he was just being still. How do you think thoughts like that without being still and allowing this conversation, your thoughts and God's thoughts, to become intermingled? You know, so, so Psalm 46, let me give you the context of it. There's wars going on. Israel's in trouble. It's kind of surrounded by the enemies. And in the midst of all this anguish, all this busyness, all this fret, God says, hey, Israel, 
be still and know that I'm God. You're not alone. And of course, I think today in our own personal lives, most of us relate to Israel you know, feeling surrounded and so many things to do and fret over and worry about and accomplish and whatever your agenda for your life is right now. And I think I would say be still and know that I'm God. Get alone so you can be with me. Be still and know. Now you notice it doesn't say, it doesn't say stuff that I would probably write for you. Right? I would tell you, hey, be still and read. Read your Bibles. Or be still and pray. Be still and and worship. Be still and think of the people who you've you've offended or some things you've done wrong and ask forgiveness. This is because I'm not good at being still. I, I would write, get busy and do something. Right? Come on. You want to grow? Do something. Be spiritual. And, and I would give you a recipe to follow because then you have things to do and you can check them off the list. And God goes, that's not the foundation, Doug. That, those are good things. Nothing's wrong with praying and reading your Bible and getting busy sometimes. But it's not the foundation to our relationship. The foundation to our relationship is something far more primal, far more foundational. It's it's being still and just knowing. It's being still with God, alone with God. Right? And this is kind of what Jesus taught his, his followers when he taught about prayer in Matthew 6. Now, I know that Matthew 6, was Jesus was doing a contrast between how the Pharisees pray and how he wanted his followers to, to pray and do spiritual things, but it wasn't just prayer, it was other things as well. So here's what he, he writes or says to the disciples, written by Matthew, recorded for us. Uh, Matthew 6, 5 and 7. He says to his followers, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, he's talking about the religious leaders, who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Right? So, so he's saying that these guys like to be admired for their branches. Right? I mean, if you think of, the, of, the, of going to the athletic club or the gym or wherever you work out and, or the beach, right? And you see these guys showing off their big arms. Right? They don't want to be known for their big arms, spiritually speaking. And you're going, yeah, what about the core? You're working out of the core at all. That's the most important thing, right? It's the same thing here. They want to be known for their prayers, for how spiritual they are. And that's where they were living. And, and Jesus goes, don't be like them. Don't be all above ground. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they're ever going to get. Wow, you guys are spiritual giants. That's it. That's all they're going to get. But when you pray... Go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. My translation of that is get alone with God. Get alone with God. What I think he's saying from our our analogy of the tree is pray here first. Pray at at the root level. Pray below ground. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to pray at your dinner table with your family? Of course not. Of course not. Does it mean that it's wrong to pray in small group when you're in one? Does it mean it's, it's wrong to pray when somebody says, hey, I'm not doing well, and you go, can I pray for you? And you, and you pray out loud for them. No, no, none of that's wrong unless you're not praying at the root level, unless it's a show. And that's what he's saying. If, if you're not praying in your roots, below ground, then everything else is kind of show stuff. It's not authentic anymore. So, so, Authentic spiritual growth takes place below ground. 
And then he said, when you do that, then your Father in heaven who sees everything, Psalm 139, will reward you. Now, when I, when, when I read that, it's like, oh, that means that's the key to getting answered prayer. No, that's not what reward means necessarily. Maybe he'll say yes, but a loving father doesn't always say yes. You end up with little brats if you do that. He also says no, right? He says, he, he, God has wisdom. I do not want God to answer all my prayers with the word yes because I pray stupid, right? I want things I shouldn't even have. And I, and I want things for other people that aren't wise. And I just say, you know what, God? I'll, I'm going to ask for stuff like a little kid, which means you be the big parent and you say no sometimes. And I'm, I'm, I trust you for that. that. That's just fine. But he will reward me with what? With the relationship. It'll be rich. It'll be meaningful. My roots will grow down more and more into his marvelous love. Now, when anybody says get alone to pray and you start looking at images that go along with getting alone to be with God, you always see like nice sunsets behind them. Right? I'm alone with, with God. Or they're on the beach and the waves are crashing in. And who wouldn't like to be on a nice warm beach? You Belizean people. You just, yeah. You know, you were jealous of you because you had that. And I'll bet you you sat on the beach and I bet you had a quiet time. Right? And, and, and then some of you, it's like the sunsets, man. Oh, how, how can you not praise God when you get a gorgeous sunset? And those people who live in mountainous areas where it's warm, and they, these are the kind of pictures you see. But we live in Minnesota. And it gets worse. We live in southeastern Minnesota where there's only, well, Olmstead County doesn't even have one natural lake. There are no beaches per se to go sit at. It's winter time almost all year round, right? <laughs> and it's cloudy like every day, right? And so we're like cabin fever and all those things. How do we do it? Well, well the good news is Jesus never said go find a sunset. So that you can be inspired. He never said, hey, go to the mountains to find God. He never said, go somewhere to do it. He said, find your closet. Find a normal everyday place where you can get away from and t- tell your kids you're busy, right? And, and, and then shut the door. And By the way, if you have little kids, you should be, like make sure dad's home or mom's home or something. You know, be smart here, right? Shut the door and be in prayer. Get alone with God and I know that's really hard. It's really hard for this generation, this time period of people. We'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what he said. But when you pray, go away by yourself. And some translations include the closet. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Get alone with God. Be still. You don't even have to pray. Be still. Just be aware that God is right beside you. And know his love. Know his love. And this is the foundation. We're going to talk about other things later on in the next few weeks. But this is the foundation. This is where authentic spiritual growth takes place. So to come completely clean with you, this is the rub for me spiritually. This is the hardest thing for me to do. I'm a very quick person in a lot of ways. I want to do a lot of things. And, And I like lots of input in my head all the time. I have a hard time focusing on one. Some of you know this. Some of you here, you're going, yeah, like, it's really funny watching Doug teach because all of a sudden he's like, over here, over there, over there. That's why we have slides to help me stay on track, right? But being still is the challenge for me, right? And and, and there's parts of it that I think one of them is going to be your biggest challenge. For some of you, it's the first step, getting alone. Notice how you've said step here. Get alone. 
you got four rugrats at home. Alone, dog? There's no way. Or I'm so busy, I can't find time to get alone. And, and I'm, I'm, I get it. I get it. it it's going to be your challenge. Right? For me, I've learned to get alone anytime I'm alone. And now, my, this chapter of life, it's easy. My kids have been kicked out. They're gone. And Lori, she usually leaves the room anyway. Right? Doug, I've had enough of you. You know? And there I am, alone, with, with God. Now, I have to make some choices when I, when I get there. But you, you have to find a way. It doesn't have to be the same time every day. I'm not giving you the recipe. I'm not telling you when. But I'm telling you, you need to find time alone. And then when you get alone, you need to eliminate noise. Now, this gets a little bit generational, okay? Because some of us remember a time when we didn't have music in our ears all the time. We didn't have, you know, little buds. We didn't even know what those were. We thought they were on trees in our ears. And we didn't have them connected to our phone and, and you know, listening to things all the time. We, we didn't have, um, our TVs weren't on all the time, right? I, it's, it's interesting. Some of us go to sleep with things playing and we can't sleep unless there's a voice. We can't be in the house without the... I had people raise their hands last night. I'm not, they didn't do it, so I'm not going to ask you to. They, I said, how many of you have your TVs playing on your house and you're not even watching it? You just want the noise going through your, your home. We, we have a really hard time being alone and being still. Well, I'm going to kind of go on a limb here. No wonder. No wonder it's hard for us to connect to God. Back in the day... Let's say when you had to go kill your food, like go out and hunt, right? You spent like a day walking around looking for the animal without anything in your ears. And you're looking around, and, and, and the actual getting the food was a 10-minute kill, you know, and then you drag it home to your family, and that's what a good man did, right? But, but all the time leading up to it was alone time. That's why some of you like hunting, because you go, the best part about hunting is the hunting. It's not the killing. It's just being there kind of thing. I, I fish. And I disagree. The best part of fishing is catching. <laughs> it's not waiting for the fish. But you have to eliminate noise. From, from It means unplugging, turning things off. It means getting alone. And then you have to realize, you have to kind of focus and realize that you are not alone even though you're alone. You're never alone. There's nowhere you can go outside. God's always in the room. The one prayer that no one ever needs to pray is, God, would you please be in this room right now? He's in the room. The only question is, are we open to his presence? Are we aware of his presence? And once you are, then embrace his love as, his, as your father first. Oh, Dad, I just want to be here. Now, most of the time that will lead on to other conversations, other things. But this is the foundation, and it's okay to spend time like this. I call it centering. Just to go, God, I get so busy. I forget you're there, and I just need to recenter myself a little bit. I need to be quiet. I need to be still. I need to be alone, and I need to recenter. I need to know that I want to live in your love and be with you. And let me tell you the good news about centering. There's no limit. You, you know how you have like a daily quiet time, and you check it off your list? You don't have to do that with centering. You could do it 100 times a day. Um, one lady last night came up to me, and she said, you know, Doug, is it okay that I just try to live that way? Yes, not alone, but yes. She goes, I do this all day long. I go, exactly. Exactly. She goes, oh, good. That was really good for me to hear then because I, that's what I've been trying to do. And I go, you get it. You get it. Everything else, all the spiritual disciplines, all the habits will flow out of that relationship with God. 
All right, now here's how I want to finish the service. Three words. Let's do it. And what I mean by that is not I'm sending you to go do it, but my fear is if I go, okay, go do it, and off to your lives, you won't do it because guess what's going to happen as soon as you walk out the door? You're going to be starting thinking about the Patriots losing to the Falcons today. That's going to go through your mind, <laughs> right? See, now I've just ruined the whole thing because like that's how fragile we are. We're like, zzz, 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 and turn on the TV and pregame, and all that stuff is going to happen. So I want you to take advantage of the next, and I promise you it's going to feel like a long time, two minutes, two minutes. And we're going to, we're going to be quiet and we're going to be still, but I'm not going to unplug everything because there's too many ambient sounds, other noises. Somebody's going to cough, a baby's going to cry, the, the heat's going to come on, the fan's going to blow. All these things will distract you, trust me. So we're going to put a little bit of music in the, in the background, not words, just some music. And I want you to, to close your eyes because that's where you can get rid of it. You can be alone in a crowd. Just close your eyes. And I'm going to want you to try to be aware of the presence of God. And I'm going to put some words on the screen in a, in a, in a couple minutes. This is, that's for people who go, I can't do this. I need some words to help me. Uh, I understand. We're, we're not used to this. And you just be with God. Maybe you pray, maybe you don't. Maybe just let his presence saturate you for a minute. So let's do it. Let's stop. Let's pray together. God, my prayer for us is that you would cause our roots to grow in your love that we would not make our relationship with you about data or learning more stuff or even telling you all the stuff we want or even the stuff we're, we're feeling guilty about. But that our relationship with you would be experiencing your love and knowing your love. And that all the good things that we do and all the all the prayers we pray would come from there. God, we don't want to be religious. We want to be full. We want your power. And we want to know you as our Father who adopted us. And we get to because it gives you such great pleasure. So we embrace it, we choose it, we ask for it from you because of your son. Amen. All right. Hey, I hope to see you next week. I hope you're in a small group doing those things. When you're alone, you're never alone.